hunt for orange October. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, January 31st, the final day of the first month of 2024. Hunt for Red October, the Tom Clancy book slash great movie that many of you have seen. Tom Clancy back in 1993 became a minority partner owning the Baltimore Orioles. And yesterday it was announced, as we've told you, the Baltimore Orioles have been sold. But wait, there are several parts to this story that fascinate me. David Rubenstein, you'll read about him. You're going to hear hedge fund billionaire, private equity, partners. There's a second name that you've heard, but I'm not going to mention his name, Mike, because his name will never be mentioned again. It's not like John Henry and Tom Werner. In baseball circles, John Henry's number one, Tom Werner's number two. They call themselves co-owners, but John Henry is the principal owner of the Red Sox. David Rubenstein will be the control owner, the principal owner of the Baltimore Orioles, but not tomorrow. This transaction is another in a long line of step transactions where an owner, current owner, says, I would like to take some money off the table. I would like to get a cash infusion. I'd like to stay in charge. And then over time, you can buy the rest of it and take charge yourself. That has happened with numerous teams. It's currently happening with the Cleveland Guardians, with David Blitzer and Paul Dolan. This initial transaction has David Rubenstein owning 40% of the Orioles, then getting the rest of the team not at a specified date. Like in any great Tom Clancy movie, this deal only closes when Peter Angelos croaks. Now, the funny thing about Peter Angelos is that he's been completely out of sight, maybe even out of mind. He was always this very ornery presence at owners' meetings. He's a, he made his money in asbestos litigation, and he got the team in 1993 in an auction where he, Jeffrey Loria, the later owner of the Expos and the Marlins, in an auction bid $172 million for the Orioles, Angelo spit $173 million. And you'd say, wow, what a coincidence. The fix must be in. It was actually an open auction where it started like at $120 million. $121, do I have $122, $123? And kept going back and forth inside a courtroom where the auction was held. And then finally, at $173, Jeffrey Loria bowed out. The funny part about $173 million back in 1993, it was an outrageous amount of money. The Orioles were not worth that. They were already in their new ballpark. They already had a media deal. They, their Masson was not even a, a glint in anybody's eyes at that moment. The Nationals were not even a thought. There was still, the Expos hadn't even had the 94 strike to complain about. That's how long ago this was. And Angelos got the team. And according to Jeffrey's bankers, I was finishing law school at the time and taking the bar, I was not involved other than I was at the hearing when Tom Clancy, Peter Angelos, Bill DeWitt, the current owner of the Cardinals, for those Cardinal fans, he was there, a part of these bids, a part of this auction. So the numbers would not indicate Jeffrey's bankers said to him, stop, don't go any higher. You have no access to capital to spend more money on the Orioles. 
it's not a deal that can be closed right now. The real number for the Orioles at that time, the high, high, high was about 150. So it really went above and beyond. Now there's a lot of things that are being written. $1.725 billion. People in baseball are despondent that the Baltimore Orioles are being valued today at $1.725 billion. We talked about Adam Silver's extension that he's getting in the NBA. We talked about Roger Goodell's extension that he got in the NFL. We talked a bit about Rob Manford and the job he's done as commissioner. But when you look at the asset values and you look at the recent transactions in the NBA, look at the recent transactions in the NFL, there is not one NFL team that would go for 1.725. And in baseball, you had the Marlins go for 1.27 years ago. And now the Orioles, seven years later, the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore, are going for 1.725. From the Angelo standpoint, this deal was definitely going to happen. And the reason why is that Peter Angelos, who has dementia, is not involved in the operation of the team. He's not the control person of the team. His son, John, is. He's got two sons, John and Louis. John and Louis fight. They don't fight the way brothers fight, like on the playground, yelling to mommy. They fight about money. They fight about control. They fight about power. And they fight through the courts. Lovely family. It is a lot like succession. And so what they decided was that Peter is going to get his wish because it was always Peter's wish that this team be sold, not given to the Suns. So the Suns, John, will get to run the team until Peter dies. And it sounds like everything's kosher, normal. It's just a tax play. So if you think about something, if you are, if you have a large estate, let's just for mathematical purposes, say that the estate tax is 50%. That means if you die with $100 million, you have to pay taxes, let's say on 90 million of it. That means you have to write a $45 million check to the government and you get to keep and pass down to your family, 45 million plus the first 10 or 12. There's a law that says the first 12 million is not subject to estate tax, but I'm trying to make the math easy for you. If you sell something while you're living, you pay a capital gains tax. Let's just say that Peter Angelos bought the team for 200. It was 173, just say 200. And there's debt involved, but just say 200. And say he sells the team for a billion and he owns all of it. That's an $800 million gain. You pay capital gains on that of 30%. So just say he's writing a $240 million check to the government if he sells today. Then he gets to keep the proceeds. So he's got 800 of profit minus the 240 of tax. I don't want to make you do math too early in the morning, but just say he's got $560 million and then he croaks. He's then got to pay 50% of that 560 to the government. So that 560 goes all the way down to 280. Now, these are crazy numbers, but I'm just explaining to you that when a guy who's about to die is about to die, you don't see him selling his assets because it's like double taxation. The reason why the Orioles want to do a 40% sale right now is because by taking a cash infusion, what the Orioles are able to do 
is have operating money, not money to increase payroll, not money to give to players, money to put into the family that is repayment of capital contributed by the Angelos family to run the Orioles, pay down some debt, which helps your cash flow. But then they're waiting for the other 60% until Peter dies. Very strange. What day will that be? Well, normally step transactions, like the way A-Rod is buying the Timberwolves, where I think that deal's done, actually. There are dates. You will get 40% on January 1st of 2024. Then you will get another 10% on each January 1st for the next six years until you're at 100%. It's specified in a contract. I have never seen a contract which is dependent on the death of the actual owner of the underlying asset. Now, of course, it can happen when you're selling your house and say, hey, I'm my state will sell my house. I don't want to sell my house. You can have the house once I'm dead. But it's just interesting in that David Rubenstein is not exactly a spring chicken. He's 74 years old and he's getting zero control. Zero. Now he could go to owner's meetings, but he can't go to the meetings where it's only one person per club, the special meeting after the meeting. He doesn't get the final say on whether they extend you know, Holiday, the number one prospect in baseball. He doesn't get any power. He's a limited partner and that's it. And so is the power gonna come in five years, six years, two months, three months? We thought Peter Angelos has been dead for five years, but it turns out he isn't. It's gonna be fascinating to watch what happens. The Orioles at 1.7. I'm waiting for a call from Jeffrey. I think I'm going to get it today. He's going to call me and say, we got Jeter to give 1.2. Oh my God. Thank you. I know he's appreciative. So you're going to read all about this transaction. And I just want to make sure you've got the facts of it. Make sure you're able to talk about it when people talk about it. So, you know, we're getting a lot of stories like that where we're telling you things that are happening. It's not being reported exactly that way, but then you've got the information and then all of a sudden it comes out that we're right about things. And then we all look good. We're here, Coke and I were talking about that the other day. We're here to make you all look good when you're talking to your friends, family, coworkers. So the background of the Oriole deal at 1.725 is not ideal. So you'll hear that couched in many ways that the Orioles are making an investment in renovations. There may be a new ballpark coming. There's uncertainty with the value of the network. The network's not involved in this deal. There's uncertainty in what the TV revenue will be for the Orioles. True. All sorts of teams are using that uncertainty as why they're cutting payroll, not signing players, why valuations are down. You wonder why it's the biggest sports business story of the year, the bankruptcy of the regional sports networks and what's going to happen because teams with their expected revenue, it's going away and that hurts what your team is worth. But either way, from Rubenstein's standpoint, there's only 30 teams. Eventually, even if he's too old to realize it, he'll be a control person. He'll have the asset. Just because of what he does for a living, you know when people say to you, hey, they're hedge fund billionaires, they're rich, they're gonna increase the payroll. Always bring them back to the richest owner in baseball. When I started, Carl Polad, Minnesota Twins, subject to contraction, always at a low payroll. There is no correlation. The Steve Cohn situation, 
hey, I'm a multi-billionaire hedge fund guy. I'm going to lose money, lose money, lose money. I'm going to raise the payroll, raise the payroll, raise the payroll. Well, you know the answer to that already. We told you to do it for five years and that's it. And then it becomes not tax advantageous to pump money into a losing operation and he's going to stop. So at some point, the Mets will have to find a way to make it on their own. The way hedge fund billionaires become hedge fund billionaires is that they don't pour money, good money after bad. They don't make bad investments. But being one of 30 is pretty cool. One of 30. I guess in football, it's one of 32. I've got a message for Ben Johnson. I don't know you, Ben Johnson. He is the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. They had a fun season. It was fun to be on that ride all the way to the NFC Championship. Should have been in the Super Bowl. Feels good to be in a locker room with Dan Campbell. You feel like you want to run through walls for the guy. Great situation, great players, everything's great. Ben Johnson interviews to be the head coach of the Commanders, maybe of the Seahawks. That's one sixteenth of the league that wanted him to be their coach finalist. Comes out yesterday and he said that he is opting to remain with the Detroit Lions as their offensive coordinator rather than pursue the head coaching vacancy with the commanders and the Seahawks. That came from Adam Schefter. Ben, were you told that you were not getting those jobs? You better have been. And there better be an announcement very quickly by the commanders and the Seahawks who their head coach is. If you were still a candidate for either of those openings, and you were not told you're not getting it in the old, we're about to fire you, but we'll let you resign before we fire you. And we can publicly say that you resign, but we'll all know it's the greatest bunch of horse hockey ever. We will absolutely have no problem if you say you pulled out of consideration. One minute after we told you you're not in consideration. That better be the case. Because if he actually were a finalist, and he is telling you that he'd rather be an offensive coordinator than a head coach, then I believe that will be his last chance to be a head coach. Owners don't like that. They don't want anyone around who would choose to be anything other than the boss. It's like when your first base coach says, yeah, I'd rather not be a third base coach. We had a guy like that. The entire organization lost respect for the guy. I can't focus on too much, can't handle it. Yes, you can. No, I can't. I just like doing what I do. That's not what Ben Johnson said. I can only handle being an offensive coordinator. It's too much. It's all I want to do. Then why did you interview to be a head coach at all? How did you become a finalist? You obviously wanted to be a head coach. To be fair to our first base coach, he never interviewed to be a manager or to be a third base coach. But the point remains that either you want more or you don't. And I'm not going to impugn those who don't. I can question it and I can make judgments on who I want to work for me on my team. I want everyone on my team to want what they don't have 
I want everyone to want to climb the ladder, to be more, to make more money, to have more responsibility, to be in more rooms where stuff happens. I don't want people settling for middle management and make no mistake, offensive coordinators are middle management. I'm sorry. Oh, but they call the plays. Very, very important. They sit in on the personnel meetings. They devise the game plan. Nope. You're either the main man, the head honcho, the head woman, the head there. Can't even, that expression's gone now. Main man, done, can't use it. I guess we'll have to edit it out of the show. 4869, you're either the boss or you're not. Oh, I have another way I can do that. All right, wipe it. Kids out there, cover your ears. 4869, you're either the boss or the bitch. And I want people to be the boss. Bunch of names came out yesterday with similar things. Gerard Johnson told teams, I'm going to be the QB coach under D'Amico Ryans. I don't want to be the offensive coordinator. Bobby Slowick, I'm staying with the Texans. I don't want to be anything other than that. Huh. He interviewed with a bunch of teams, was not a finalist anywhere, and then parlayed it into a raise and an extension. Let me differentiate that from Ben Johnson. I love when employees use leverage, when a minor league manager uses leverage to me saying that he's about to be poached to be a triple A manager when we have him as a double A manager, so you better pay me. There's a lot of that that goes on in baseball where friends help friends out. If you've got a friend with the Astros, you say, hey, will you do me a favor and ask permission to interview me? And then say, you're gonna hire me to be the triple A manager at 120 grand because I'm making 80 and then I'm going to get an extension at 95, even though they only wanted to give me 80 and everybody's a winner. So as a team president, I was always cynical. I wonder where that came from. Always looking out when employees would say to me, hey, I may leave, pay me to stay. Sometimes we would say, see you later. Thanks for the memories. Other times we would say, oi, Crikey's, we don't want you to leave. We'll give you that raise and extension. Is it possible that the Texans wanted Slow to stay and that he never was actually going to get one of the jobs and he got interviewed as a favor? Yes. Is it also possible he was on the list of a great up and coming coordinator, got interviewed and just wasn't ready and decided for safety and security and an extension, which by the way, will certainly have an out if he becomes a head coach elsewhere. I have no problem with what Bobby Slowick did. The reason I'm getting on Ben Johnson is Ben Johnson wasn't going through the motions. He wasn't using his head coaching interviews as leverage to get more money under Dan Campbell. And I'm in on all those. He was actually going to be a head coach. Who doesn't want to be a head coach? David, what if you only get one try and you got to go with the team? that won't lose because then you won't be around. That's what people are saying that Ben Johnson wanted to be, wanted to win a Super Bowl. Ask anybody, would you rather win a World Series as a hitting coach or would you rather manage a big league team? 100 out of 100 people surveyed, 
top five answers on the board. Number one, two, three, four, and five are all the same. Yes. I want to be in the manager's office. No, I have no aspirations to be that way. Get out. Fire you. Sitting there with no aspirations. So you think that Ben Johnson doesn't have aspirations? You think it was a bad time? Maybe he's got family situation. Don't know. That's total rumor. No idea. There are people who don't want to move. We had, when we moved from Montreal to Florida, I will never forget this, except I've forgotten it. We had a pitching coach in our system who we wanted to move with us to Florida and did not want to leave Montreal. And then we had a pitching coach who was part of the Jupiter team who didn't want to move out of Jupiter because his family was there. And we wanted to promote him to double A, triple A on his way to becoming a big league pitching coach. And he said, no, no, I'm happy at, you know, 50 grand a year because I'm with my family. And you may think that I have contempt for that. And you'd be right. And I'm happy to wear it. I wanted people in my system who had an eye on advancement who understood that the rules of engagement when you're in baseball is that you're going to live in different cities. You're going to move. When you're in the sports world, one of the things I tell people who are trying to get into sports is, are you willing to move? No, I want, I'm only looking at teams in New York. Well, then don't be in sports. If you really want to be in sports, you should be on a plane to Indianapolis tomorrow and be just fine living in Detroit, Milwaukee, LA, and then moving to Sacramento. If you make it back to New York, great, but you may never come back. That's what life is in this industry. We're going to find out a little more about Ben Johnson. You're not, you haven't heard the last of this, but I'm going to give you an official wait to see about it. And I believe that owners, when they look at what Ben Johnson did, I don't believe they're going to give him another chance. As a matter of fact, I believe that so strongly. Do you remember last year when there was a head coach who was being interviewed? Eric Bieniemy, Remember that one? I think I have a wait to see Coca, don't I? I thought Eric Bieniemy would most certainly be a head coach this coming year. There have been about seven openings. It has been the greatest off-season hiring cycle for minority coaches in a decade, maybe more. And the number one minority candidate from last year is already off the top of the list. Of course, he could be named the commander's coach tomorrow. And then we'll say we were wrong. I just don't think owners are going to hire Ben Johnson now. So I'm going to make that official. Ben Johnson will not be a head coach this year or next year. Two years of his life. Done. Speaking of that, when we come back, we are going to address another one of those topics that we had brought up to you about what's going on with the NHL and the sexual assault in junior hockey in Canada. And remember, we told you that four players were going to get suspended. Those four players have now been charged. We're going to talk about that and review a really important Oscar-nominated documentary, all when we are right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Matthew Koch and I come to you every day, 8 a.m., live. One of you had a question. 
on uh, davidsampsonpodcast.com. We're going to get to that with Joel Embiid and missed time. That's something that we addressed yesterday as well with the NBA. We've been really good at that recently, addressing things that then become news. Being on the right side, I'm pretty proud of that. Let me review this movie. I watched a movie yesterday. I'm still mid-lost binge. I'm now season three, episode 18. Can't stop, won't stop. I still love it. There's an Oscar-nominated documentary called Bobby Wine, The People's President. I was interested in this movie because two summers ago, I went to Uganda. I went gorilla trekking in Uganda, spent some time in Entebbe. And I didn't know my history. I wasn't aware of Bobby Wine, who is a musical sensation, a rock star, if you will, who is trying to run for president. And in Uganda, they say there's a democracy, but the democracy means you vote for me or we kill you. And if you run against me, I arrest you and almost kill you, unless you're a pop star. But I'll arrest everyone around you and all of your advisors. I will not allow for term limits or for me to age out. I'm going to be 75 and still ruling because I am running Uganda and the people love me. Turns out people in Uganda don't really love their current president. Turns out that when they say the current president got 58 or 62% of the vote, there's no way to know. You people want no democracy or you want democracy as a shell? I would encourage you to watch this movie. All of you in favor of those who are in favor of no rule of law, no democracy, watch Bobby Wine, the people's president. And then say, oh, that looks good. I love that idea. I wish I were living there. What a great system Uganda has. Brilliant. The incumbent shut down the internet around the election time. Didn't count votes. Bobby Wine tried to campaign around the country and was met at every turn by the militia who basically were stopping him from doing what he wanted to do, stopping him from campaigning, stopping him from winning because it's not a democracy. Bobby Wine, the people's president, was nominated not because of the subject matter, which is hugely, hugely important and so important for our country to watch right now. Nominated because it's a damn good documentary. They have interviews. They've got live cameras happening when real stuff is happening that you just get lucky that the cameras are on. It sort of reminds me of the PGA Daily Show that was being filmed when all of a sudden the Live Tour got announced, you know, a year ago. You just get some really interesting things on tape that you would not normally get without a recreation. And Bobby Wine, the people's president, has all of it. So check it out, especially for your Oscar ballot. All right. I want to follow up a little on the NHL story. The four players from the NHL, remember them? The sexual assault, hockey, junior hockey in Canada. Remember how the Calgary Flames player, Dylan Dubé, we told you that he took a leave of absence for mental health reasons, and I told you I was sick. It made me sick that they were using mental health as a sword 
and not a shield and that they were lying about it when it wasn't mental health at all. Wouldn't you know, the Calgary Flames had to release a statement after it was announced that Dylan Dubay and three other players actually had to turn themselves in in London, Ontario, because they were going to be charged with the crime. Their statement, the important part, we had no knowledge of pending charges at the time Dylan's request for a leave of absence was granted. So what Calgary would have you believe is that they had no information from the NHL about what was happening. They would like you to believe that a player came to them and said, hey, I got to leave the team. I got some mental health issues. They want you to believe that they didn't ask any questions. Hey, mental health, no problem. It's like a torn patellar tendon. You're on the injured list. We're good. We support you. We love you. Because that's sort of the right thing to say, the hip thing to say, the in thing to say, mental health, physical health, same thing. Issues are issues. I'm here to tell you that teams don't view it that way. They should, but they don't. When you get an x-ray that shows, or an MRI that shows a grade three hamstring strain, not much discussion. There is no x-ray for needing a mental health day. Needing a mental health week. It can manifest itself in behavior the way John Morant did. But you think it's a little coincidental that Dylan Dubay asked for a mental health leave and the Calgary Flames said no problem taken, then all of a sudden he's charged when the investigation had been ongoing for a long time. As a matter of fact, wouldn't you know, Dylan Dubay's name was involved in the investigation that's been going on for a long time. So what, the Calgary Flames buried their head in the sand and said, oh, this, this, what a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. They do. It's got to be a total coincidence that he's involved in this thing with junior hockey, but he needs a mental health break. Don't you think it's more likely that he went to the team and said, hey, guys, I'm sure you're not going to want me around because what a distraction I'll be. I'm happy to just take paid leave. <laughs> Never heard a player say that before, ever. I think it's a little more likely that Calgary said, we are going to put him on administrative leave. It's exactly what Gary Bettman is doing to all four of the players. Wow, what a coincidence, four guys at once. But we want to give some cover, so we're going to use mental health. How dare all of you involved? And then you make it worse by saying in your statement, hey, we had no idea of the pending charges. Careful wordsmithing there. We had no idea of the pending charges. They weren't pending when he took his mental health leave, Chachi. They were contemplated. They're currently pending. What you should have said, but you couldn't say because you didn't want to outright lie. If you're the Calgary Flames making a statement is, we had no idea of the player's involvement in this horrific event. Hmm. Where does it say that in the statement? Oh yeah, it doesn't. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Celtics winning by a touchdown over the Pacers. We had Halliburton on a minutes restriction coming back from injury. 
and we had the Celtics up 20. And then we had the Celtics win by five. We are 16 and 17. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. Our pick tonight is the Kings one and a half over the Heat. Spolstra, the trend's our friend here. Heat haven't won a game since Spolstra extended his contract. They haven't won a game since Terry Rozier got traded to the Heat. And the Kings are no schleppers. I think the Kings come into Miami and say, hey, we're going to extend your misery because the Heat look miserable. The Pacers were keeping track of Halliburton's minutes during that Celtics game yesterday. Do you remember yesterday's show? Any of you out there listening live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel? Yesterday's show, we talked about max deals in the NBA, and we talked about tweaking and that Adam Silver needs to tweak the 65-game rule, talking about Joel Embiid. But we talked about all the players and their max deals, and if you're not All-NBA or you're not eligible for an MVP, you also don't get to make the most you can make as part of these max extensions. Wouldn't you know, later that day, after listening to Nothing Personal, Halliburton comes out and says, I think it's a stupid rule, talking about the exact rule that we talked about on Nothing Personal. But this is what the owners want. So as players, we got to do our job and play in 65 games if we're able to. So let me give you a little background. A game played is a game in which you play at least 20 minutes. You can't do a Draymond Green and Clay Thompson's first game back and go take the opening day tip, opening uh, game tip, then foul and get taken out of the game and say, hey, played under a minute. Forget all the prop bets. That counts as a game played. No, no. You have to play 20 minutes or more in 65 games. But then the union said, hold on, that's a lot of minutes. All right, the owner said, in two of the 65, you can play 15 minutes. But then in 63 of the 65, you have to play 20 minutes. And then you have to be all NBA or win one of the postseason awards. Then you can get the super, super, super duper max. The reason Halliburton is upset is that his hamstring will likely not allow him to play the minimum 65 games. So he doesn't like the rule. But the Pacers did him a solid last night. Do you think it's in any way a coincidence that Halliburton played 22 minutes last night? I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you. One of the 49 coaches sitting on and behind the NBA bench with his notebook open, he's keeping track of minutes. It's not diagramming plays. Got to get Halliburton 20 minutes. I also want to make a correction. I want to shout out to Rachel, who's a fan of nothing personal. Thank you. Corrections, I get things wrong every show. I'm, it's just me. Coke is in my ear. I have a screen in front of me with a list of topics. That's it. 45 minutes straight through. I make mistakes. I said a couple of days ago that Joel Embiid had not played in Denver ever. And she correctly pointed out she was at a game and Joel Embiid did play in 2019. So you sent me a correction, and now I am making it. Thank you. Do you know how much time we used to spend trying to make sure our owner did not ever have to be in court or be deposed? How much time baseball spent trying to protect Bud Selig from ever having to 
be deposed or be in court or be on Capitol Hill. What a nightmare the blue ribbon and the steroid hearings were when Bud Selig had to testify. This is before university presidents were losing jobs over bad testimony. This was just, hey, we don't want to expose the owner or expose the commissioner to these types of questions. It's not just Bud Selig. No commissioner wants to be deposed. A deposition is when you are under oath and you're asked questions, not in front of a jury, not in front of a judge, in front of a court reporter, basically. And the lawyer for the other side gets to ask questions. Is your name David Sampson? Yes. Is this a lie detector test? No. Do you know that on or about October of 2006, you were in Hawaii? I don't have a specific recollection of that. Do you not recall doing an Ironman in October of 06? No, of course I know I did the Ironman. I just didn't remember the month. One year ago, you are on record as saying that you were in Hawaii in October of 06. Does that refresh your recollection? Oh, if I said it then, I must mean it now. These depositions can go on for hours, days, and you don't want to subject your commissioner to it. Roger Goodell had to take a deposition and it just became public. We got to read about it. It is a very complicated case that involves concussions and the NFL and the concussion settlement. Now, it is not players suing the NFL. Believe it or not, it is the NFL's own insurance company suing the NFL because they don't want to pay any part of the settlement because they don't think the NFL should have settled. Let me tell you how brilliant this is. For all of you who work at insurance companies out there, and I do not have the demographics, I don't know what percentage of you would are. I have made very clear my disdain and complete contempt for insurance companies because you all take my premiums every year. And whenever I want to collect, you're like, oh, you don't get that procedure. Oh, we're not paying that claim. Oh, that player's not hurt enough. Oh, you don't want to put that through your home insurance. It's just going to increase your premiums. You might as well self-pay that. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. God, I hope so. They're always quick to take your premiums. If you don't pay on time, they'll cancel your buttocks. But once you actually want to get a claim in, they will delay and delay and delay and sue. I've had to sue insurance companies 10 times to get claims. It's a joke, waste of legal money. Love you, Wayne. I know it's not a waste for you, but man, it's a waste. So Roger Goodell is deposed in this lawsuit because the insurance company doesn't want to settle and the National Football League can't settle because they need the insurance company to pay for all the money that they're giving to the players. Roger Goodell then sits on the stand and makes a mess. Roger Goodell, the brilliant commissioner, multi-hundred million dollars that he's made as commissioner. Roger Goodell during a deposition actually said there is a positive for our league when one of our former players donates his brain to science after committing suicide. The lawyer was like, huh? Well, no, it's great whenever we can learn. It's obviously horrific that the player killed himself, but boy, it's great to get a brain that we can study. Hey, how do you feel about concussions in the NFL? Are they related? No, we don't really know that for sure. 
Are you aware that players are suing you right now because you covered up how dangerous football is? No, I'm not quite aware of that. Plausible deniability, right, Mr. Right Lawyer? That's what Roger says to his lawyer. I don't have to say I was aware of that. Do you think that an NFL player can sue the league claiming that the, that the league ignored and downplayed the dangers of the game leading to that player's head injuries? And you think that the commissioner is not aware of that lawsuit? What world are you living in where Roger Goodell is not aware of a lawsuit around CTE, which was the biggest issue facing the league and continues to be as they try to get the youth to play football while ignoring the dangers of the game and the violence that we crave? How dangerous is the playing in the NFL? He was asked in a deposition. Oh, it's just like walking down the street or sitting on your couch. There's no problem. It's easy. Well, it sort of looks a little different when people are crashing into each other at full speed. Ah, but we've got the kickoff rule. We're really trying to stop those. Why are you trying to stop big hits? Are they bad for you? Do they hurt? No, they're fine. It's like walking down the street. Same risk. You can get hit by scaffolding. New Yorkers know that. Someone could drop a penny off the Empire State Building. Not good. Not good. The other thing commissioners do that you don't want them to do is when they actually say something that is totally contrary to what someone else is saying. When you're supposed to rehearse, you get prepped. Rehearsal is the same as prep. Don't worry, nothing nefarious or unsavory. But when you're being deposed, your own lawyers do a mock deposition first. They go through Q&A. They prepare you for what to answer, how to answer when you are deposed. This is normal standard operating procedure. And you know others who are being deposed, in this case, the general counsel, Jeff Pash. You've got to be on the same page. Jeff Pash, under oath in part of this, these depositions, when asked about injuries and et cetera. Hey, I think we've agreed and said that there are long-term effects to the violence. And Roger Goodell had said, no, we haven't agreed to that. We don't know that. Which do you think is true? Do you think the NFL is aware of the correlation between the violence of the sport and the long-term brain injuries that are suffered when players get too many concussions? Sometimes one is too many. Or do you think that they're not aware of it? Part two, do you think they're aware of it and are doing something about it because they want to make lives of their players better in later years? Or part two, are they doing something about it only up to that which is required by the settlement including making sure that the settlement encompasses all future claimants and they can completely forget about anything related to head injuries going forward. Hmm. I wonder which one you're tempted to believe. We heard from a former commissioner as well in this lawsuit. This is a very big lawsuit, folks. Paul Tagliabue also testified. And his big addition to the proceedings is, yeah, I don't remember much. Long time ago. That's called preparation. Hey, do you have the time when you're under oath if someone asks you that? I was always taught the answer is yes. 99 of 100 people, when you say, do you have the time? They answer with yes, it's 1.42 p.m. Or yes, it's 8.44 a.m. That's answering too much. They didn't ask you what time it was. They just asked, do you have the time? 
depositions are tricky that way. And it's always good just to say, ah, I don't exactly recall saying that, but I have it right here that you said it. Well, if you have that, I said it, I may have said it at the time, but I don't recall the context. I don't recall the scenario, the situation. I am stumped. That was a very long time ago. Are you saying that you don't think that there are long-term risks associated with playing football? I'm just saying that I've got as big a risk when I leave this courtroom, walking home to my $20 million apartment. It's going to be more about these leaked, not leaked documents, these now public documents. This lawsuit with the NFL and the insurance company has been going on for years and years and years, and it ain't stopping soon. There are billions of dollars at stake. The commissioner at the end of the day had to agree to be deposed because he had no choice but not to settle. Why? Roger looked at his prepping attorneys, looked at his general counsel. He thought to himself, oh, I really don't want to do this, please. But it's just business. Love you, Roger. This is nothing personal. 